Hey, it's good to be back. Um, yeah, thank you. Uh, it wasn't quite how we planned it, but thank you for your grace in uh, letting me be gone. Um, India was remarkable. I won't bore you to death with my camp high, but unbelievable ministry going on over there with Suresh. And I know we've had Suresh in the room a couple of times, but I don't know that we have ever articulated what God is doing over there with that man and with Harvest India accurately. And so somewhere in the near future, we're going to want to get Suresh back in the room, give you and I a fresh glimpse of what is happening, because it is huge what God is doing in India through that ministry that's a strategic partnership that you and I have. And um, uh, it's just, it's remarkable. And then I had the opportunity uh, last week to go into a room uh, with some of the largest churches in America and just sit and talk ministry uh, together, get ideas and resource each other. And uh, so it was time. It was valuable for me. It was well spent. And thank you for uh, allowing me to be there and to do those things uh, in some ways at your expense a little bit. A um, couple things real quick. I want to remind you that the series that's coming up is You Asked. And so I want to encourage you to go on the website uh, you type in the keyword uh, questions and vote, because if you don't vote, uh, then we may talk about something you have absolutely no interest in, and this is your chance to actually design a sermon series. I would think you'd want that opportunity, so go on, just type in questions at the top, go vote, let us know what we need to talk about uh, together for the next four weeks, and we're going to tackle that. Uh, last but not least... I uh, wanted to spend a moment tonight talking about what's going on with the McRae's uh, right now. And I think most of you have probably gotten a little bit of uh, word on that, a little bit of sense. Um, fill you in a little bit. Um, probably going to fill in the church a little bit uh, on Sunday morning. Uh, the diagnosis uh, came back. They have found um, two more sites that they are 99% sure are cancerous uh, in Kate. And one of them is in the very center of her uh, brain. One is now on the right side of her brain. Uh, the original spot was on the left side. So two brand new sites. And there is some thought that maybe the original site has grown just a little bit. So the, an- the, the short answer to all of it is, is that the doctors are not giving them good reports. They're saying, we've done everything we can do. And so if the cancer is back, we don't have anything left to do. Um, that's putting Aaron and Holly in a remarkable uh, tough spot because you now have to decide um, how do we respond to this because although the majority of doctors are saying there is nothing left, there are one or two doctors that are saying, well, we can we could do a Hail Mary. We could try something that's never been tried before. We can do something that has no record of being done before, but we could take a shot at something. And so now they're left as parents to say, do we do that? Do we take a shot at something that has no track record? Has I mean, it's just a shot. Um, knowing that that will probably cause huge discomfort for our daughter uh, if it doesn't work uh, in her remaining days. Or do we, on the other side of this, try to make what time we have left good quality time for our daughter? And I I think you could imagine as a parent, none of us would ever want to have to make that choice for a child. And uh, so that's where they are right now. I will tell you, honestly, these two people have navigated this thing at a remarkable, remarkable, remarkable level. I will tell you that this last set of news has been like a kick in the gut. And uh, for the first time, I've watched them really, really visibly ache. And so I'm just going to say to you as the church family and as their body, right now, uh, they're kind of in seclusion and kind of huddled together as a family. But you and I are going to have to figure out what it means to love on them and be gracious to them and be caring for them. And we've done that. I mean, this we we as we've done that. We just got to figure out what it means to do that in the next chapter that's going on in their life and in their family. So that's as far as we know. You're as updated as as we are uh, now at this point. Um, They are currently in California getting another consultation from one of the guys that says, hey, maybe I've got a long shot, you know, to take for you guys. And matter of fact, they'll be meeting with him on Thursday on the deal. 
Um, but that's where they are. Could we just stop and pray for a second uh, for them and just ask God to again consider uh, healing Kate on the deal? Let's, let's pray. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, we, we simply come before you, and, and we're just going to say out loud, uh, we don't understand the answer that's happening right now. We don't like uh, what's happening right now. And we're just going to ask you, would you consider healing Kate? And God, we, we just want to acknowledge and say out loud, that would be simple for you. you. You could do that without even breaking a sweat. And so we're just going to ask, would you consider healing this little girl? God, in the same breath, we're going to acknowledge that we are not God. And that your ways are higher than our ways and your plans are better than our plans. And if you know something in this situation, if you understand something and that we're praying the wrong way and you have something better in store, then God, we're just going to bow the knee and say, no matter how you answer our prayer, you are still God. You are still Lord. And we will still praise you. But once again, would you consider healing this precious little girl? And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so if I'm understanding right, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I think you guys are about verse 10. Does that sound? Yes? 8? 8? 10? All right, so here's what I'm going to do, just so that we all catch up together. Let me read the first eight verses then real quickly. If anyone has a quick question so that we can catch up together, we'll do that, and then we'll move on. We'll, we'll, we'll get going. So let's go back to verse 1 if we can real quick. Let me read this just to get our minds back on what should have been covered. If you have a question, we'll ask, and then we'll dive into tonight. So here, here we go. Uh, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 1. It says, Now for the matters uh, you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry. Uh, but since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to the husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. And in the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all men were as I, but each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift and another has that gift. Now to the unmarried and to the widows I am saying, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Okay. So is that about how far did I go past? Kind of, sort of, all right. So questions on that part of Scripture at all? Or are we good? We're happy. We understand that Paul was bitter about marriage. No. <laughs> okay, so go ahead. Right there, question real quick. So what's your take on verse 1? What's my take uh, on verse 1? went over it a little bit. But now, for matters that I wrote you about, it is good for a man not to marry. I think he had a really tough relationship. No. Um, I think you have to take it in the context of everything that's happening in the passage. And as you go through the passage, and a matter of fact, as you get to a little bit of what we're going to talk about tonight, um, he begins to talk about the fact that the church is just under huge persecution in that moment. And he's saying, hey, in this season, in this moment that we're going in, a man or a woman who does not marry is going to be able to keep themselves or be able to devote themselves single-heartedly towards the things of God. And you're not worried about your husband or your wife now. You're not worried about children. You're not, not even worried about your house and about cars and college educations and all of that. You can just focus in on God. Okay? And that's kind of the context in which he's saying it is, it is good not to marry. Okay? So it's a good question, though. He also goes on a little later to say, but each of us has our gift in our ability. And I'm just going to say to you out loud, my gift is not to be single. Okay. It's just not. And, uh, I would say that probably the reality is true that most of us, our gift is not singleness. It's just not on the deal. Okay. Any other quick questions on that passage? Okay. All right. We're happy. All right. That was your last chance. Uh, could have changed your lives, but that's all right. 
Okay, so uh, let's jump into verse um, 11. Actually, go back to verse 10. Verse 10. Here we go. To the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. Okay? So, what do you think he means when he says, um, to the married I give this command, and then in parentheses, not I but the Lord? What do you think he means by that? Okay? In this case, he's saying clearly that it's God's will that... Okay, there you go. And I love, I love that you caught that. As he leads up, he's saying, hey, let, let me just give you some practical idea here of maybe how to navigate a really, really tough time that's going on in the church. And he says, practically, because the persecution is so heavy, everything is going on, it's not a bad idea if you said, hey, during this season of persecution, during this season of turmoil, let me just... Stay focused, stay on the things of God. And he really is, in many ways, offering advice of how to navigate persecution. Now he's shifting gears and he's saying, this is a command. This is a command I give now. We're getting back to thou shalt at this point. And then he parentheses it real quick and says, and you need to know, this isn't my command. This is the Lord's command. Where's he getting this from? When did Jesus command this? Anybody remember? Okay, grab your Bibles. Go with me to Matthew. Matthew chapter 7. Okay, so I made a mistake. Matthew chapter 5. Okay, Matthew chapter 5. Here's here's Jesus talking on this topic of divorce. Uh, Actually, okay, here's what it says. Uh, It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. So you got to understand, the custom and the practice that was happening in the day is, look, if your wife displeases you, if your wife does something that you don't like, you simply write out on a piece of paper, we are no longer married, you hand that off to her, it's done. And you need to know that within the culture, within the time, men were divorcing their wives for anything. You cooked dinner wrong, were divorced. And they were handing out certificates of divorce. Jesus comes back and says... But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. That's that's huge. That's that's a huge shift in what they were understanding culturally. And it may be a huge shift for what you understand about how to navigate this moment. Matter of fact, go with me over to Matthew chapter 19. I think that's right off the top of my head. Yeah. Okay, Matthew chapter 19. Watch this one. Uh, Starting in verse 3. Some of the Pharisees came to him, talking to Jesus, to test him, and they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Back to hand off that certificate of divorce. You burn the dinner. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female. And he said, for this reason a man will leave his father and his mother and will be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. Get verse 10. The disciples said to him, If this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it's better not to marry in the first place. This is, this is tough. The disciples say to him, this is, this is hard. They say, which brings you and me to an interesting moment. What are the disciples struggling with at this moment? Why, why is this hard to them? 
Why do we think? Why do we think this is hard for them to accept this? Are they okay. having a hard time with monogamy? They're having a hard time potentially with monogamy. Okay, so in, in, if, in the back, if we can put my pad up on top. Okay, so may, maybe they're struggling with monogamy. Is that close to spelling it right? Yeah. Sort of. Is that phonetically right? Monogamy. All right. I, I went to school for this stuff. All right. Uh, why else maybe are they struggling? It takes some control away from the man alone. Uh, it, it takes some control away. Okay. Loss, loss of control. Whoops. Or maybe self-rule. In other words, hey, God, you just, you just took a ton of my options away. Why else do you think it's hard? They're young and single. So help me out with that. Well, most of the disciples were young and single still. Oh, okay. And so, so now they're looking and saying, boy, I mean, if you're telling me it's a ball and chain. All right. Okay. Why else? Could it be because men are very visual and they're looking at women already and their heart begins to lust. So it starts there. So there's always a new model. <laughs> Why else do you think maybe it's hard? It requires a deeper sense of self-control and commitment. And they are objectifying. Okay, so just a second before you get to that one. Deeper sense of self-control and commitment to who? To their partner. To their partner? Okay. And to who else? To God. And to God. That's the Trinity, by the way. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Why else do you think maybe this is hard? They're They're objectifying. Okay. They're objectifying their spouse. And, and really, if you get down to the core of that, marriage is all about my needs getting met. And you realize that Scripture teaches just the opposite. Scripture says marriage is about me finding someone I love more than myself. And that I'm actually saying, I love you so deeply, I will spend my lifetime meeting your needs before my needs. Okay? These people were bound so much by the law. So it shook their belief system. It shook the core of their belief system. Okay. Okay. And and why why does it shake their belief system? Because it was con, con, contractually based, and this is what they had believed for a long time. So they thought it was right to do so. So. Okay. Yep. All right. So let me jump in and see if I can help. Here's one of the things I think you got to get in the moment. This is not what they've been taught all their lives. This is not what culture is doing. This is not what their parents have ever told them. This is not what their teachers have ever told them. This is completely different. And Jesus is saying, look, 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 you, you've, you've, you've missed that. And what you think is working and what you think you're supposed to do and how your parents have navigated this issue and maybe what your Sunday school teacher told you and say, that, that, that's not it. That's not what Scripture teaches. Okay, so here's what I want to say to you out loud because we're going to keep digging into this particular topic. And here's what I'm going to tell you. I believe that all the things the disciples struggled with in this moment, when they heard this, men and women are not supposed to divorce except for marital unfaithfulness. Their reaction was, Jesus, look, I mean, if that's true, if that's true, then I'm not sure I even want to get into this thing. And I believe that you and I, as we begin to tackle this issue, there'll be some of us in the room that go... You're kidding me. Jesus, I think you're, you and I may potentially have the same reaction. Are you kidding me? You mean, you mean God is this strict, this narrow-minded, this closed down about this subject? And here's the answer. Yeah. Yeah. And as you and I begin to process this information, which here's why I think this is, has value for us. As you and I begin to process some information that may be different than what your parents ever taught you, Maybe different than what you ever heard in Sunday school before. I guarantee you it's different than what's going on in culture. 
And I guarantee you, it probably hits you into places that go, man, I'm not sure, you know, because, man, I'm not sure I feel monogamous. And, boy, this takes self All the things that probably the disciples were struggling with over this topic, there's a chance you're struggling with those same things on this topic. And here's what you and I have got to come to, which is the same things the disciples had to come to in this moment. When I get to a conversation about Scripture and about what God is teaching, that I'm not sure I like that answer. I'm not sure I agree with that answer. It's not what I've always thought. It's not how I've always practiced. It's not what my parents did. It's not what my friends are doing. It's not what culture is doing. It's not... And and the truth is, this is going to take a whole new level of commitment, a whole new level of... And people won't understand. In the process of trying to land, here's what you and I have got to decide. At the end of the day, what wins? Does culture win? Does my parents' advice win? Does what my friends are doing win? Do I win because it makes sense to me and therefore I put my seal of approval and say, God, okay, I, I, I understand and so, and I think I agree with you, so okay. Or, you ready? At the end of the day, does the very fact that God's word commands it, that scripture says it, trump the conversation? In which you and I simply say, look, I don't think I even agree. I don't think I would have made that decision, God. I don't think I like what you're saying. But you're God. And I trust that you're smarter than me. I trust that you have my best interest at heart. And even though I don't like what you're saying, I'll obey. I'll obey. How many people in this room are parents? How many people in the room have had this conversation with your 15-year-old? In which you just wanted to say, look, look, I get it. I get you don't agree. I get you think my curfew's stupid. I, I get that you think you should be able to date that boy. I get it. And my answer as your parent is no. And you get that your life is going to change in the moment when your 15-year-old responds to that conversation. And some of us have been there when our 15-year-old looked and said, Mom, Dad, you're an idiot. And I am 15 years old and I am smarter than you. And all my friends are doing it. And this is not what my teachers at school are telling me. And so I am going to reject what you are telling me as a parent. And I'm going to go do my own thing. Or our life is vastly different if in that moment our 15-year-old would... Can you imagine this? Okay, imagine this. Your 15-year-old looks at you and says, Mom, Dad, I, I think you're wrong. I, I, don't, I, I, think that's, I, don't, I don't like your answer a bit. But because you're my mom and my dad, I choose to obey. Boy, would that change your life? Would that be fantasy world? But you get that's the right answer. And you get that that's the answer God waits for us to do when we come to moments like this in Scripture where we go, whoa, 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 that's not what my friends are doing, that's not what my culture's doing, that's not what my parents did, and that's not what my teachers are teaching. And matter of fact, that's not what I did at some point in the past part of my life. And I don't think I like that Scripture. But you're God. Which means you win the conversation. And I will obey you even if I don't understand you. It's the right conversation. Isn't it? Okay, good. Three people nodded their head. The rest of us are all in trouble. Okay, all right. So let's go back. Let's dive into the conversation because God's got some pretty interesting things to say about this topic of divorce and remarriage. And it's gonna, I think it's going to challenge and stretch some of us in the room. So here we go. Back to verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. Here we go. I'm not going to ask you to agree. I'm going to ask you to consider that maybe God knows what he's doing. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 says, To the married I give this command, not I, but the Lord. This is what Jesus taught, he's saying. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say this, I, not the Lord. Okay, why did he just say that phrase? I'm saying this, the Lord didn't say this. Isn't that interesting? Okay, so any guesses? I'm saying this, the Lord didn't say this. 
Okay, that maybe it's not the inspired word of God. Okay, so say it in the, in the mic. Because Jesus is flesh like we are, and we wouldn't understand so much in the spiritual instead of being in the flesh. So he knows how it is to be worldly as we feel the same things instead of what God says. You know, okay. we're thinking in the spiritual of God, but we also have to think in the flesh as well. Okay. What else do we think? In that interesting phrase, I'm saying this, not the Lord. It's actually fairly simple. You ready? Here we go. Paul said that because he was saying it, not the Lord. And, and, and just in this context, here's what he's doing. He's saying, remember the first part? He said, look, 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 look. We're going to talk about this topic of marriage and divorce and remarriage and all that stuff. Here's what Jesus said specifically on this topic. And now he goes back and quotes Matthew chapter 5. This is what Jesus already said. I am now, and what he's just doing is acknowledging, saying, look, I get it. I get that I am now going into a place that Jesus did not directly address. I am now addressing this. I am saying this. This is beyond what Jesus said on the topic. But here's what you need to know. He in no way is disclaiming this from being Scripture. He's just simply saying, Jesus, when he said it, went this far with the conversation, I am now going further with the conversation. Does that make sense? Okay, here's why that was necessary. When Paul is talking to the Corinthian church, something has drastically changed that affects this topic. Jesus didn't need to address it because at the time Jesus is speaking in Matthew chapter 5, they, they, if he had talked about what Paul is about to talk about, it would have made no sense to them. They would have said, what in the world, Jesus, are you talking about? But now things have changed. And now Paul says, okay, now that we're playing with a different set of cards, I've got to add some more information here that Jesus didn't need to address, but you and I do. So let's read it, and then let's see if you and I can put our thumb. What is different, and it's not going to be here, you're going to have to put on your thinking caps, but what's different now than would have been when Jesus first dealt with this issue? Okay, verse 12, to the rest I say this, I, not the Lord, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through the wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. All right, so strange, weird stuff. We're going to come back to it. Did anybody catch what maybe is different right now than would have been when Jesus had the conversation? Jesus hadn't died and rose again yet. So Jesus not, hasn't died and rose again. Okay. Paul was speaking to um, the church of Corinth, which basically used to be heathen or pagan before, and now... Because they accepted Christ's death and resurrection, they're considered believers. Okay. Before Christ died, they were just Jewish. Okay. He got it. Let's see if we all got it. Okay. Before the cross, Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 is talking to a group of people. Who's he talking to? Jews. And as Jews went to Mary, what was the crucial issue? You had to marry another Jew. It's pretty simple. You're born a Jew. You're a Jew. It's okay. It's free game. You can marry them. Jesus doesn't have to deal with this believer, unbeliever stuff. Just marry a Jew. You're okay. What changes that? Jesus dies on the cross. And now God begins to deal with people, not through the Jewish nation, but instead through this thing called the what? The church. And now we just opened a whole new can of worms. Whoops. The church lost its steeple. Okay. Oh, well. Anyways, there's a cross on top of that building, and it's a church. All right. So, and now, think about this. Here's what's happening in this moment. Paul is going to evangelize, and he goes to Corinth. And Corinth is basically a heathen community. 
So now all these people are coming. They're hearing the story of Jesus. And perhaps, maybe, the husband came to the meeting and the wife said, no, 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 I'm not going to go hear that heretic. Or maybe they both came and only one believed. And now all of a sudden, you have mixed marriages. Because now the criteria for a relationship is not were you born a Jew. The criteria for a relationship is are you a believer? Something that Jesus didn't have to deal with. It wasn't even, they wouldn't have even understood the conversation in Matthew chapter 5. And Paul says, look, because of this thing called the church, and because sometimes husbands are getting saved and wives aren't, and sometimes wives are getting saved and husbands aren't, we've got this whole new can of worms of, you know, what do you do now when you're, because here's the thing, you had husbands who said, well, I'm just going to divorce my wife, she's not a believer. Or wives who said, I'm going to leave my husband, he's not a Christ follower. And now all of a sudden, Paul has to deal with a whole new issue. That Jesus did not have to deal with the time he was speaking on the topic. Does it make sense? So Paul says, I know Jesus didn't do it. I'm going to deal with this. We're going to talk through. What do you do if you find yourself as a believer married to a non-believer? We're going to tackle this topic together. So let's go back. Let's read the passage again. Here's what it says. Verse 12, to the rest I say this, I, not the Lord. Jesus didn't address this. I'm addressing this. If a brother has a wife who is not a believer... And she is willing to live with him. He must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer. And he is willing to live with her. She must not divorce him. Period. And then he goes on to explain. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through the wife. And the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. I have a question. Yep. So if, if the, the believer in the relationship, if the unbeliever does not want to be with the believer, then it's okay for the believer to divorce the unbeliever? Okay, we're going to get there in a minute. Oh. Thank you for asking that. You're welcome. Okay. Okay, so here's the premise. You're a believer, you find yourself as a believer, and you're married to a non-believer, don't divorce. And then he goes on to explain why. Because you need to know that your unbelieving husband is sanctified in that relationship. Your unbelieving wife is sanctified in that relationship. So here now we get down to Bible words. Okay, what is sanctified? Huh? Set apart. Okay. Steps toward holiness. Huh? Steps toward holiness. So let me ask the question. Is this passage trying to say that if there is an unbelieving man and he has a believing wife, that he gets to go to heaven by proxy of her belief? Says he's sanctified. If an unbelieving wife happens to have a believing husband, does she get to go to heaven based on his faith? Is she grandfathered in? Is that what this passage is teaching? How many people say, no way? How many people say, maybe? How many people say, I'm not raising my hand because I am utterly confused at this moment? Okay, all right. How many people are scared? All right. Okay. So here's what I want to say to you real quickly, and then we'll, we'll unpack it. Guys, you, you, you probably know, most of us probably know, there's no way that's possible because Scripture just is so replete over and over and over again that says that every single person has to make a decision for Christ. A husband can't make that decision for his wife. Guys, it's why we're really, really, and I'm just, you guys are going to get mad at me, but I'm going to say it and then you get mad. It's why, to be honest with you guys, we have no business baptizing babies. Because a parent can't make a faith decision for a child. I don't care how much you love that child, you cannot decide for them Jesus. And baptism is a decision post-salvation. It's a dumb custom that we invented in church, and we should have never done it. Okay? Because no person can decide Jesus for another person. It's not possible. If it were, I would decide Jesus for all of Chandler. Wouldn't you? You can't. And some of you that are parents who've tried to decide Jesus for your own children, you know I'm telling you the truth. Because you've tried with all your heart and it doesn't work, does it? They have to make their own independent decisions about who Jesus is and whether they're going to be a Christ follower or not. And you can only do your best to help them. You can't make that decision for them. 
right? Okay, so then knowing that to be true, what in the world is it meaning here when it says the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the presence of the wife, the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the presence of the husband? What do you think? Give me some stabs at it. Go ahead, microphone people, go. Run. Um, Going back to what you were just saying, uh, what would you say to somebody with the argument if the Bible says that two people become one flesh, couldn't you argue that that would sanctify the spouse? Because what would happen when, uh, you know... Yeah. You know, I... You know, I, I think you could always go there and try to argue for that. I don't. I think you'd be uh, pretty tough to get any place that would gain you any traction in the argument, because you realize that what it's saying there is is that the two people become a family unit. They become one unit before God, but it never says they become one person. That's the reason. Just before that passage, when it starts, it says, "Hey, the the wife's body doesn't belong to her alone." It still recognizes very clearly her individualness, her personhood, and her responsibility for her own body. It doesn't say, hey, they're just one and unable to make independent decisions. Does that make sense? So you'd have a hard time saying, hey, the husband believed and the wife got grandfathered in. I wish I could. I can't. I I think... um Sanctified here means um, like a covered blessing, not saved, but covered blessing through his wife or through the husband, the one that is saved. Okay, and so I like that thought. So let's go. Why would why would why would the presence of the believer in the home be a covered blessing? Why would that be that? I think um, it's to do with. That believer is constantly in their life. It's hmm. like 24 hours a day. There, the non-believer is seeing um, their faithfulness, and the believer is praying for that person. It's just much better chance of leading that non-believing partner to Christ. Okay. Um, I got. Uh... I got a, an, an NLV, and it kind of says it differently, and I think it's kind of the answer to your question. Okay. But it says that uh, for the Christian wife brings holiness to her marriage, and the Christian ho- uh, husband brings holiness to his marriage. Hmm. Um, and then from that point it goes on, and it, and it says, otherwise your children will not have any godly influence. Hmm. And, I, and I think that maybe by staying with your husband or with your wife or whatever the scenario might be, that... Uh, you know, you that you get to uh, influence your husband or your wife towards God, like that's uh, like cable television for God to plug God influence into your life. You know, like just so I do. I like I like the way that that's translated. I think it's much more accurate to what Paul's trying to teach. So let's let's process this for just a minute. See if we can get there. If if he's a believer and she's not, okay, she's a non-believer. He brings light. She can't. I mean, and that's not to condemn. It's not to be mean. She She doesn't have light yet. She doesn't have this understanding of Scripture and God and how that all works. And, okay, and without being mean, it's dark, okay? She has to make every decision based on this is how I understand life. This is what I think about life. This is what adds up to me on my fingers because I don't have that. I don't have that in my life yet. So, but at the end of the day, this relationship has light in it. If he leaves, guess what's left? And now let's throw some kids in. And he's just simply saying, look, guys, look, your best shot, the best hope for your family is for the believer to stay in. The best chance your husband has of knowing God is you. The best chance your wife has of discovering Christ is is you. The best chance your kids have is you, if you're the believer. Stay in. Stay in. Okay? It's tough. I get it. It's hard. But you're the best chance. It is sanctified. It is set apart. It is this covering in the family. It's this shot at influencing the family for light on the deal. Make sense? Okay. All right, so let's keep going. Okay, 
Verse 15, yes. But if the unbeliever, so this was the question we asked earlier. Remember we said we were asking, here it is. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such a circumstance. So if instead the unbeliever says, I'm done. I'm sick and tired of this. I hate this. I'm gone. And I am leaving this relationship. If the unbeliever does the leaving, then Scripture says the believer in that moment is no longer obligated. They are not bound because they did not do the leaving. The unbeliever did the leaving. You get the caveat. You get the difference. Okay? So, with that in mind, Scripture just gave us two reasons in which a Christian can be involved in divorce. What are those two reasons? Okay, so microphones. Unfaithfulness. Okay, unfaithfulness. What else? Okay, and so we would call that abandonment by the non-believer. There's no go back. All right. She many. All right. So, adultery, abandon. Okay, two reasons. Two reasons in which divorce can be biblical. Here's what the disciple said. Jesus, that door, that that door at the back of marriage to get out of marriage, is really, really, really little. And I'm not sure I like the back door being that little. I I think, and here's what the disciples are saying in that moment. If I were God, I'd make a much bigger back door. I'd have a whole lot more reasons that a man could leave a marriage, that a woman could lead a marriage. I mean, the idea that that's the only two reasons that you can get out of a And the disciples just said, if I were God, I I wouldn't have made the rule that way. Chances are there are a lot of us in the room to say, I, I, I agree. I don't, I don't think I'd have made the rule that way. I think I'd have left a much bigger back door. Let me ask you a question. Why do you think God made the back door so small? Is, is there a chance that God knew what he was doing when he made the back door so small? And if so, why do you think maybe he made the back door so small? Okay, so let's tackle that for a second. Um, I'm going to say because marriage is a covenant, like the covenant we make with God when we become believers. And Mm -hmm. it's such a sacred thing to God that, you know, Jesus refers to us as his bride. So it's such a sacred covenant that he doesn't want. It's just like willy-nilly. You just leave whenever you want, but you stay faithful despite the hard times and you know what I mean it's not wide open you could do whatever you want okay so that that has to do with God thinks it's sacred and he wants us to think it's sacred why else because what if I go God I you know, I just think you're a little stuck up on this I think you're a little wound tight on this topic hey for those that are of us that are married we know marriage is tough mm. so we can't just walk out um without a very good reason, like, you know, unfaithfulness or leaving the marriage. Otherwise, if it's left wide open, we'll all How, walk I, out. All right, all right, so we just did Valentine's Day, right? Didn't we? Yes? Okay. How many of you men are in trouble tonight because Valentine's was yesterday? All right. How, how, many, how many of you just heard what she said? Because marriage is tough. Okay, so we got a microphone? All right, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say basically the same thing is that you know, when you have no options and things get difficult, you have to hang in there and then you change. Hmm. And, you know, so God can use that relationship to grow you and transform you. But if you have an easy out, you say, I'm uncomfortable the way I am. I'll leave and stay the way I am. Hmm. Okay. So get, get this, guys, because here's what I'm going to tell you. I believe that if you can grab what happens in this conversation And if you can land your heart on what God was doing with something that maybe we wouldn't even agree with on first glance, it may help you with the next time you get to somewhere in Scripture and you go, I don't think I like that answer. Okay? So here's the... Marriage is tough. Marriage is always going to have moments we think we want out. So 
I would ask you to raise your hand. How many of you ever wanted out of your marriage? But I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but let's just be honest. You guys have caught on. Men and women are very different, right? Who's going, what? I'm just like my wife. My husband's just like me. Okay, all right, all right. Now we hit the court. God did this, and you realize God didn't do this by accident. I mean, I, I think there are moments we all go, boy, if God would have just made men like women. Guys, that would have been a mess. You don't want your husband to be like a woman. And I think there are moments men go, boy, if my wife just acted like a man, I'd know you don't want your wife acting like no man. Okay? You want her shaving her armpits. You don't, okay? You want her acting... And you realize that God, in the wonder of who He was and understanding this moment, said, I am going to take some of the best qualities that are this and make that man. And I'm going to take some of the best qualities that are that and make that woman. And the unbelievable process of bringing those two things together in a relationship is going to be called a marriage. But guys, let's just be honest. Sometimes the bringing together of those two things is kind of violent. It's kind of tough. And there are moments that that it's frustrating as all get out. And here's the reality. If you've been married longer than three months, there's been a moment that you have looked your spouse in the eyes, and you may not have said it out loud, but you thought it really loud. What in the heck am I doing with you? And God knew this. You ready? That if you and I, in that moment of impassioned frustration, I can't believe she did it again, I can't believe he said that to me, and if that back door was big and wide, guess what God knows we would have done by now? Yeah, we'd have opted out. We'd have said, the grass is greener on the other side, there's got to be a woman who will treat me better than this, there's got to be a man who would understand, and we would have taken the back door. So God, in His, are you ready for this? In His love and grace, made that back door so stinking small that in those moments of frustration, in those moments when it wasn't going well, and guys, there's going to, I'm just going to say out loud, there are moments it's not going to go well. And you and I turned and looked over our shoulder and said, okay, so how far is the door away and how big is it? That you and I would say, that door is a long way away. And it is really, really tiny. And I don't have any options. Which means this. I don't want to live with this argument, with this conflict in my marriage for the next 20 years. I better sit down with my wife. I better find a moment with my husband. And we better fix this. So that we can move on. And I'm going to suggest to you that God in His grace... God in His love and God in His wisdom made the back door of marriage really, really small so that we wouldn't use the option clause. So let me give it... How much time do we have? Okay, so here we go. Let me... I'm just going to say this out loud. I... I... I am a guy who more often than not thinks I'm right. Anybody caught on with that with me? Okay, all right. Anyone got the same disease I have? Okay. I, I am naturally by nature kind of bent toward leadership. I, I have opinions coming out of every pore in my body. It's how God wired me. I married a woman who believes she is mostly right. Uh, God has wired her with all sorts of incredible leadership. And she's got opinions coming out of every pore of her body. We are both firstborns, which means we grew up telling the rest of our family what to do. And now we're married. And anybody want to guess what that looked like the first years of our marriage? Ooh, Nellie. But here's what I will tell you. Then in the process of Lisa and I navigating that, and literally, I mean, just coming up with, I mean, here's what I know. I know that when we're going on a trip, apparently I am completely incompetent at packing the trunk, and she's the boss of packing the trunk. That's what you do, because that's... And my wife knows that when it comes to our finances, I'm the boss. 
And we, through working together and navigating life together, have come, and can I tell you this? To the most amazing marriage. I I had a guy the other day say, Lynn, what's good in your life? And I will tell you that without a pause, without a moment, I said, my marriage is good. My marriage with my relationship with my wife is good. It is sweet. But I'm going to be honest with you and tell you that in the early days, if that back door had been big, and God loved you and me too much, and he was too smart to leave a big back door, and he blessed us with a little back door. Okay, questions real quick, then we're going. I got one. Um, Okay. So what... This is maybe considered abandonment, but what if a woman is being abused by her husband, like just getting the tar kicked out of her? I mean, do you think that she has the right to divorce her husband at that point? I mean, I I know that we've discussed these being the only two, but that seems... Okay, so great question. I love the question. She says your brain was in gear. So what do you think? If a woman's being beat up by her husband, can she divorce her husband? Yeah, great question. Okay, watching the microphones because we're still getting there. If a woman's being beat up by her husband, can she divorce her husband? Looking at the two things you said, there's no adultery there. There's no abandonment there. But still, by then, I'll just imagine I'm Paul. And I'll say, this is not the Lord, but in my opinion, instead of dying, it's good to opt out, but in a good way. And don't, I think it's good to opt out, you know? Okay, so here, here's what I'm going to, all right. All right, so here's what we're going to do because we're out of time. We're going to answer that question next week. <laughs> All right, well, hey, at least you'll come back. All right, so. No, because here's the deal, guys. That question is going to take more than a minute to answer, okay? So we'll come back next week. We will wrestle that question through. If a woman is being beat up, can she divorce her husband? Okay? All right, let's pray. We'll come back, and uh, we'll tackle it together. Let's pray. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, thank you tonight. Thank you for Scripture. Thank you for your word that challenges us and stretches us. And God, if we land nothing else tonight, could we land this? That even in the moments that I disagree, even in the moments when I go, God, I, I think you're off your walker. God, I don't think you considered my situation. God, I, I, I don't think you knew how bad my wife could be. That you and I would choose, that that we would choose God in those moments to simply say, God is smarter than me. God understands better than I understand. And I choose, I choose to obey his word rather than my own understanding. I, I will let him be God and I will not take that chair. Even if I don't understand. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thank you guys. Thanks for being here to study the word. And we'll be back next week. We'll answer the question. We'll get there.